staying sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. My Democratic colleagues are operating purely on political spite directed at the President of the United States. This is ridiculous and it's cruel. And it needs to end now, right now. If he was going to get some uh, border wall, I think the president would be there. Listen, the entire time these negotiations have been going on, it has been the president bringing offers to the Democrats. The Democrats have not one time made any counter offer back. Unity of the Republican Party, it's really a beautiful thing to see. I don't think there'll be any breakaway because they know we need border security and we have to have it. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are uh, really excited to continue our pre-born partnership week. Let me give you those numbers so you can call in and join with us. We have, at, we've met our goal. Our goal was 2,000 ultrasounds provided. But remember, the statistic is that out of every ultrasound that's provided, um, when you group them together and take the total, 80% of the women choose life. So 20% do not. So in order to save 2,000 lives, we want to keep pushing. We want to get uh, even more going on here today, and we're excited about that. So here are the numbers to call, 877-616-2396, 877-616-2396, or you can go to AFR.net, and uh, you can just check in over there at AFR.net. I did mine yesterday live on the air. I donated to provide a free ultrasound to a woman uh, who is abortion-minded. And I'm so excited about now, it'll be my first time donating, so I'll get my uh, information and materials in the mail. And this will be something that I can share with the kids and my husband, and we can really pray over the work that Preborn is doing because it's a partnership beyond just giving the money. And so that's why we're talking to you about it, our, our loyal, valued listening audience. And if I can just take a second... Um, I want to say thanks. Thank you to AFR listeners for helping us meet the goal. But I also just want to say you guys are awesome. You, you're awesome. I don't know if you've heard that today, if, if anyone's giving you a pat on the back or, you know, a, hey, you're, you're awesome or a thumbs up. But I'm giving you one now. I'm continually amazed in my short time being here at Urban Family Talk and American Family Radio and how responsive the listening audience is. Um, and not that I had any expectations that the audience wouldn't be, but I've just seen over and over again how the listening audience here doesn't just respond. You go above and beyond whatever is asked. And I think that's something to, that it's commendable. Um, it shows how interested the listening audience is in advancing the kingdom and the gospel. And um, I just think it's fantastic. I think you are fantastic. So thank you so much for helping us to meet our goal and if you're just tuning in, we're talking about preborn. What is it? Well, in short, we have almost a million babies aborted per year, and the number would be more if it weren't for preborn and the work that they do in providing free ultrasounds to abortion-minded moms in pregnancy resource centers across the country. They provide the ultrasound free of charge, which means they're providing the machine, the training, everything, and they're doing that with your help. $28 gets one woman a free ultrasound. $140 gets five free ultrasounds. But here's the best part. The results are already tabulated, so you don't have to be concerned. Hey, what's the overhead administrative cost? Zero. There is no overhead administrative cost. All there is is whatever dollar you give goes straight to providing these ultrasounds. 340,000 women have been counseled and 73,600 babies have been saved. 
that's pretty fantastic. So let's continue on with uh, what we're doing at the partnership. Fantastic. 877-616-2396. That's 877-616-2396. And you can donate online at AFR.net. And we're, we're, we continue to be grateful and really kind of blown away by the awesomeness of our audience here. We're so excited. Uh, so today on the show, we're going to speak to Ariel Davidson. She is saying, uh, you know, the question is, I think everybody has it on their mind, who's going to cave first? Will it be President Trump, the GOP, or Pelosi and the Democrats? Who's going to actually, you know, blink, cry uncle, you know, give in, yield, whatever the terminology is that you prefer? Who's going to do it? And I, I tend to think that the president understands the seriousness of this issue, just judging by the speech that he gave and some comments that he's made since then. And we'll be hearing some of those. He had a really fun interaction with a reporter um, where the reporter tried to get froggy with him and he just turned it back on the reporter and it was classic Donald Trump, uh, really in his element. And I, I love that because they're not having the press briefings to spare Sarah Huckabee Sanders some of the nastiness from Jim Acosta and his crew of bad uh, actors. The president is now, whenever he steps out to Marine One, especially while this crisis is going on and the, and the border shutdown is, is in effect, he's been commenting, hey, uh, l- l- let, me, let me tell you what's on my mind. And then he's been taking some questions. That, to me, is indicative of his seriousness on this issue. Um, apparently, there's word on the street, and who knows if it's valid or not. Remember, we're always getting stuff back channel, front channel. No, no one ever claims any of these comments. That the president really wasn't that excited about uh, doing... Uh, the, the the speech, the Oval Office address the other night. And it could be because he knew there was going to be a rebuttal by the Democrats. But today on the show, in addition to speaking to Ariel, who is a frequent guest on the program, I'm so excited. Uh, she comes over to us from The Federalist. We also have uh, some comments from the president before he got on Marine One this morning on his way to the little Air Force One, which he flew down to McAllen, Texas. And he's going to be on the border doing what presidents have to do when they find out that there's an obstructionist party, <clears throat> excuse me, there's an obstructionist party in effect in Washington, and they don't even care about their constituents. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. Um, I, and, and I actually have something in mind as a reasoning behind, because we keep pointing out, as we often do, that in the past, Democrats have not only voted for millions of dollars, but they've supported border wall, border funding, uh, you know, border technology, more agents, et cetera, et cetera. And there's been a change of late that they don't support it. They're not willing to provide $1. Part of it is Trump derangement syndrome. They hate the president. But there's something else at play. So we'll discuss that as well. And, of course, we'll take your calls. So right now I want to uh, talk a little bit. We had we're, – we're still in the Psalms, you guys. We're still in the Psalms because I'm finding them very encouraging. And I have to say, you know, if you're feeling discouraged about all of this and you're – you're thinking to yourself, you know, there's this is it's Debbie Downerville. Everybody's being so negative. I'm presenting the information, but I am not negative in any way, shape or fashion. The same way that we flourished in the Obama years when, you know, there was a lot of economic malaise around the country. But many people that I know, almost everyone I know, did very well. Uh, Christians, Bible believing Christians who put their trust in the Lord and not in President Obama. They didn't see President Obama as their savior. The situation is no different now. And that's no dig against President Trump. It's just a statement of fact. If your true source is God Almighty and his son, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, then all of these things, the winds may blow, that anything can happen, but you're firm, you're rooted, you're grounded, you're standing on the rock. 
you're excited about the future because you know the end of the story. You know how this thing all goes down in the end. We just have to walk it out. So it's frustrating, sure, but I'm not discouraged in the least, not even slightly discouraged, even though on the surface, it looks like the president is in an impossible position. And I know there's a piece out there over at Hot Air. One of the writers over there talked about, um, are you prepared? Well, it might not be at Hot Air. I've been all over the internet this morning. Are we prepared for a Kamala Harris, President Kamala Harris, declaring a national emergency over climate change? Well, I don't know. Are we? She may very well do something like that if she were elected president because she's kind of like a dictator. And climate change, there's no there's no provision for regulating climate change in the Constitution as there is for regulating the border and maintaining national sovereignty. Notice that. I know that it doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It doesn't matter what rules are. But just notice that. So there's a rebuttal to every one of these assertions. But it's always coming from a place of we know our source. Our source is not Barack Obama. It wasn't him. It's not Donald Trump. We support the president. You know, sometimes he he drives us batty, but he's the president. We're praying for him, just like we hopefully prayed for President Obama. We want the, the, to acknowledge the scripture that says that the heart, the head of the king is turned by God. He turns it whichever way he would have it to go. So we have to acknowledge that. If we believe that, then we know there's no reason for us to be up or down because of the news that we see. We should be continually refilling our joy cups by reading our scripture and singing praise and worship songs and fellowshipping with believers and serving That's the way we can keep ourselves on an even keel and not be blown hither and thither because of whatever we're seeing in the news or in the media. So I read just a little bit of this yesterday, and I'm still on it because it's that good. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. And I know there are people listening in our audience who you, you're thinking, that's me. I need some vindication. Well, God has it for you. It says, I'll repeat, verse 6, he will make your righteous rewards shine like the dawn. That means No one will miss the fact that you're being rewarded. Your enemies will see it and your friends will see it and your family will see it. It will be clear to them that your your righteousness is being rewarded and your vindication will also shine like the noonday sun. Noonday sun is high and hot and nobody can miss it. You can't hide from it unless you go indoors. That is how your vindication will shine and be seen around about by those who previously thought you to be guilty or plotted against you, your enemies. That's what this is saying to us. Be still before the Lord, verse 7, and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. We aren't to fret. We are not to be blown about. We're not to be emotionally unstable. Verse 9, for those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. I encourage you, I just stopped there at verse 11, go through and read the rest of that psalm and meditate on it and it will lift your spirits. And I'm encouraging you in this way, you know, if you're not discouraged right now, 
awesome. That's great. But I can feel the discouragement creeping on me if I, you know, I, my job is to read, watch, and listen to the news. And so listening to it and hearing an absolute mantra, and I believe we're going to have that audio for you tomorrow. Um, yeah, tomorrow you're going to be able to listen to this audio of the Democrats literally parroting each other. And, and you know, so you watch that and you're like, wow, what in the world is like, what is going on? The dishonesty, it's rampant. It is, but God is greater. So we, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to uh, concern ourselves about with worry and doubt. Instead, making every petition known to God and trusting him for the outcome. So right now, I want to listen to, as we're closing out this first segment, President Trump challenging a reporter on signing the Democrats' shutdown bills. And I just, I, I love this audio clip. I think it's awesome the way he turned it back around on this reporter, but the reporter never answered the question. Still, it was great audio. It's number one. Hey, John. No, seriously, John, do you think I should just sign? Well, the, the argument no, no, is... tell me, tell me. John, do you think I should just sign? I, I, I'm saying that if you sign that, these workers can start getting paid. Uh, the government can so start... So you would do that if you were in my position, you'd do that? I'm not in your position. I'm asking you if you've, that's something you... I'm want. asking you, would you do that if you were in my position? Because if you would do that, you should never be in this position. <laughs> because you'd never get anything done. Goodbye, everybody. It was a total smack. And they laughed because they knew it was the truth. He delivered the truth to them. I, I, and I want to make this other point. And there's so many other things for us to get to today on the show. I, I promise you, I just have so much. Um, there's landowners who are along the southern border where the wall would be installed, where there is no wall right now. And I don't know if they're Democrats or what their problem is, but they don't want wall on their land. And I use the quote fingers because their land is the border of the United States. So if there was ever a clear use for eminent domain, it would be to build a border on someone else's land to protect the country. Well, Jazz Shaw actually has an idea. Build the border wall and put their property on the outside of it. So they're still in America, but they're on the outside of our physical border wall because they don't want it on their property. And then and they want to come into the interior of the United States. They're still Americans. They can still vote. They can still come and go. But they have to come through a lawful entry point. And you put one every so often so they don't have to travel. You know, it's not an undue burden. But put their property on the outside so they'd be in America but still bordering Mexico. You know, still open border on their end. But on our side, inside their property line, we'd have protection. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. I love it. All right, when we get back, we're going to have Ariel Davidson and so much more. Stay there. This month marks 46 years of Roe v. Wade. The Ministry of Preborn is seeking heroes who will partner with them to give the gift of life to babies in crisis. How? By providing free ultrasounds. When an abortion-minded mother sees her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. Would you join Urban Family Talk and the Ministry of Preborn in helping to give life to 2,000 babies this January? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and 100% of your gift goes to saving babies. To donate, dial 877-616-2396. That's 877-616-2396.
or visit AFR.net. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. You know, some people wouldn't know the truth if it bit them on the nose. It seems as if everybody is lying. I know, not everybody's lying, but it feels that way. I've found even in my own life that I've said things off the cuff in a certain way that when I thought about it later, I said, that wasn't completely truthful. It's there, and lying is awful. In Acts chapter 5, there's a tragic story of a couple who want to look good, so they decide to lie. It's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. They sell a piece of property, bring some of the money, and lay it at Peter's feet, pretending it's the total sum they received from the sale. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. A little later on, his wife came up and she held to the same story. The same thing happened to her, too. She dropped dead right on the spot. Can you imagine what would happen today if every time a Christian told a lie, he dropped dead? We'd be speaking in terms of Christianity in the past tense. I believe the point of Acts chapter 5 is that God is serious. He is serious about telling the truth, and it's never, ever right to lie. Here's what I want you to remember today. Let's ask God to help us to be totally truthful. Let's search our hearts and repent of any lies or deception. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Join Crawford tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. All right, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure always to speak to our next guest. She's one of my favorites. Um, she has been on the program and provided expert analysis on numerous occasions, and today is no different. Can't wait to hear her take on what's going on with the president and the border fight. It's Arielle Davidson. She's a contributor to The Federalist and good friend of the show. Arielle, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Stacey. Always a pleasure to come on to your show. You know, so just hit me with it. Who's going to cave? Because I'm, I'm thinking President Trump looks pretty strong. I also think the longer this goes on, the less people are going to say it's only his fault. Um, the more people are going to say, well, why can't they just give him a little bit of money? Or why can't they just give him like, why can't they negotiate at all? It's going to become clear that really he's trying. He's, he's even willing to consider some things I'm not OK with. Where do you see this going? You know, I think it's what I've heard a lot of people say, and I do agree with this take, is that it seems like both sides think that they're winning. And because both sides think that they're winning, it doesn't seem like either side is going to cave. But I do think that if I had to pick right now in the moment, I would say that the Democrats are probably more likely to cave because I think they have a weaker case. If you look at sort of what they're arguing for, they say they support border security, but they have absolutely no interest in putting any money towards the wall. And so you, you're prompted to ask, well, what, what alternatives have they presented to us? And they really haven't presented uh, anything of substance. And that, to me, is what's more concerning. And so I think you're absolutely right that as this drags on, people are going to start to see that, you know, wait a minute, if they say they care about border security, let's see what their alternatives are. And they haven't really presented any. Nothing of substance that I can see. 
They haven't, Ariel. And and so if you're just tuning into the show, welcome. Thank you for being here with us on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We're speaking with Ariel Davidson, contributor to The Federalist. And I want to point out, and I think what I'll do is for my homework tonight after the show, is I'll try to find everything I can of Democrats recently saying that border barriers are okay. Now, I, I do have a little running list. I've started a little ahead, so maybe it's not quite a, a all homework for tonight. But we have Democratic Representative Sherry Bustos saying a border wall is fine. Senator Cardin saying certainly you need barriers and we support barriers. Senator Jeff Merkley saying that some barriers are useful on the border. Do you think some of these statements by these elected officials could be a result of regular dyed-in-the-wool donors and Democrats calling their office and saying, what are you doing? That we, we, how can Democrats oppose a border wall or our national sovereignty? I think they're getting calls, but I think they're getting calls from their constituents. I think that there's you know, a large fraction of the country that sort of sees the reasonability of Trump's proposal. I think there are a lot of people that care deeply about border security, both on the right and the left, but you're not seeing that necessarily represented in how the Democrats are behaving. I think the Democrats, especially in the House, are doing a lot of show voting, and that's sort of, they're enjoying this moment in the spotlight, and I think they're taking tremendous satisfaction from being able to deprive Trump of the ability to follow through on one of his biggest campaign promises. And I think that's what this boils down to. I don't think that for the Democrats, this really is about spending, because I can think of so many other silly, not even other silly, but actually silly, frivolous uh, spending items that they've approved, right, in the past in terms of our national budget. Um, so for them to put their you know, foot in the sand here, I think a lot of this has to do with just being able to deprive Trump of the ability to follow through on his campaign promise. Mm, I think that's I'm so really glad. I, I, so, Ariel, I agree with you. I'm so glad you mentioned that, though, because there's a list out. And none other than Reuters, okay, hardly a left-leaning or hardly a right-leaning organization. They do not like Donald Trump. But Reuters actually has a list over at their site, things Democrats have funded that cost more than the border wall. I'll just name a few off just so people can Please kind do. of get their kicks. Uh, rural <laughs> Utility Service, this program ta- costs taxpayers $8.2 billion a year. Sugar subsidies, $6 billion. Uh, community development grants. And, and I know these are some of these things are popular, so it's not, I'm not asserting their validity. I'm just saying they don't, they don't even argue about funding them. Um, $15 billion over five years for community development grants. Uh, United Nations, we're the United Nations' largest contributor, and so we give $10 billion a year. Um, we could save $12.5 billion a year over 10 years if we just you know, reduce the amount that we share. Amtrak, um, subsidies over the next five years cost $9.7 billion. And my favorite on the list, unused real estate, Ariel. Um, we have, in fiscal year 26, 3,120 buildings that are vacant. And we pay about $15 billion every five years to maintain those thousands of buildings that we own but do not use. The federal government, wow. United States government. So, That's I mean, staggering. just take a little of each of those funds. Let's say they decided to sell 300 buildings and, you know, reduce community grants, um, reduce uh, just I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about crazy things. I have tons of great ideas. I, I'm a red line budget person. If you got problems, start start with a red pen and you can fix your problems. If we did any of these things, if we reduced everything by 10 percent, we'd have more than enough to do the wall. But I don't think it's about money. Do you? No, I don't. I think it's an emotional. This is an emotional battle. This is about opposing Trump. This is about getting I think the, the Democrats see an opportunity uh, to agree for once, because you probably have noticed that there are some fractures in the Democrats. And, you know, in terms of the progressives versus the establishment, 
And so I do think that Nancy Pelosi sees an opportunity here to get her the younger elements of her party to coalesce around her. And so she is going to be tough on this. Same thing with Chuck Schumer. I think they really are trying to use this as a poker chip to get the progressives on their side because it has mm-hmm. been sort of contentious within the Democratic Party right now. It, it was really hard for her to get reelected, or I shouldn't say reelected, but she wanted the speakership. And everybody who was an establishment person who'd been there for decades, they were all like, yeah, Nancy's the one for the job. And everybody knew was like, no, we want somebody progressive, which Nancy and you and you know, like for you and me, Ariel, Nancy's pretty progressive. But for them, she's not radical enough. So you're right about the fractures. Um, what do you say to this? It, it's a, a an article that's floating around now where uh, Marco Rubio is saying, look, if you're OK with President Trump signing a national emergency to get the wall done, um, be prepared for Kamala Harris to sign some kind of national emergency when she's the president which would basically force the entire country into climate change. Force the country into what? Into supporting climate change legislation, like all the all the boondoggles right. that have to do with that. Right. So, you know, I think Marco Rubio isn't totally off base. Look, if we're going to pull some kind of maneuver here, we have to prepare for the possibility that if the other side's in power, they might do the same as well. You know, that was what happened with Harry Reid and nuclear option. We would... We have to be prepared for that to possibly take place. You know, that being said, I think Trump might be able to make a very strong case for himself about declaring this a national emergency. I mean, look, the issue is that what what that would at least do is it would force the Democrats to recognize that there is actually a crisis. Um, and I, I don't I don't disagree with Trump with saying that there is a crisis at the border. I think if you look at the various towns across, particularly across the Midwest, that have been totally decimated by opioids. Epidemic. I think there's a very fair and valid argument to be made that there was a crisis on our borders. It's just sort of that those living on the coast are pretty insulated from it. And so, what I do think that Trump, you know, declaring this to be a crisis, what I do think it would do is it would sort of expose how far removed the coastal areas are from what's actually going down on the ground. And that's what I think has been most illuminating about seeing all the reporting coming out is that, you know, we don't have a lot of reporters who are living near the border in Texas. We don't have a lot of reporters who are living in central Ohio. We don't have a lot of reporters who are living on the ground experiencing firsthand sort of the implications or the devastation that might result from illegal immigration. Mm. That's an excellent point. Um, And I think so we played a little bit of audio in the first segment of a reporter saying, why don't you just sign one? You know, you're signing all these bills that have nothing to do with border uh, or with the shutdown. Why don't you just sign one of the bills that's proposed by the Democrats? And he turned it around on him and said, would you sign it? Um, a lot of these reporters are so beltway and a seal corridor bound that when they go out into any part, like even rural Virginia, which is this is not, you know, thousands of miles away. This is two hours by car. They're in rural Virginia. Their reaction is, oh, you know, this is disgusting. Look at these people. Look, you know, it's such a shock for them to see how these, we have multiple tens of millions of Americans who do not live in the Asila Corridor or on the East Coast, you know, writ large, the parts we think of the major cities, or in California. So it's it's kind of amazing that they're this insulated and out of touch with regular Americans. Oh, absolutely. And this is sort of why, Stacey, this goes back to why it was such a shock when President Trump won the election, was because there was this huge divide uh, that just really reporters hadn't really addressed or bothered to address. I think Selena Zito has done a fantastic job. I believe she's at the Washington Examiner, if I'm not mistaken. She's done a tremendous amount of reporting on sort of this gap between, you know, the Beltway reporters and what's going on in the rest of America. 
I, I find it interesting because um, there are ways in which we can continue that kind of separation. Like if you have health insurance, which these reporters do, obviously, and most uh, well-to-do uh, liberals, they don't, they don't just have insurance. They're often involved in the kind of boutique concierge service where they pay their doctor 1200 or $1,500 or $2,000 a year. And that doctor sees them privately in their home. So they don't even go to doctor's offices. So th- there's, there are ways to limit your exposure to people who aren't like yourself. And in our kind of gig customized Starbucks economy, it is becoming more and more. It's not just easy. It's prevalent like Instacart. This is something that's taking the grocery stores around here in our area by storm. And it's probably because we're the last ones to get stuff because we're in the Midwest. So everyone else is already using Instacart, which means you would normally be at the grocery store shopping for food, bumping into people who are not like yourself because a grocery store is going to be in your neighborhood, but anyone can shop there. You don't even have to do that anymore. With the advent of Amazon, you can have anything you need, clothes, shoes, anything, food, pantry items delivered to you. Instacart can get you your actual fresh grocery items. You can choose them and have them brought to your house. So you're, you are able to really control the kinds of people that you bump into. And I think it's interesting but I think it's also becoming a danger for our society that people who write about the news, who report the news, who have such a huge impact on what people think and believe have chosen to cordon themselves off so they never bump into anyone who doesn't think, act, and even breathe like they do, the, you know, yoga-type aficionados, all of that. No, I agree with you. I think this is something that, uh, you know, I believe the author's name is Robert Putnam. He wrote a whole book on bowling alone and how we have a decrease in social capital that we're just not as interconnected as a society. So even, you know, the, the urban versus uh, suburban rural divide is becoming more dramatic. I think that there's also an argument to be made that just in general, social capital is decreasing. You're right. We're not going to social clubs anymore. We're not running into our neighbors in the grocery store. We're not going to the mall. We're not engaging in, you know, stepping outside our homes to do more things. We're doing, we're able to do a lot. Uh, just via the internet. And so I do think that that's leading to not just large divisions within America, but also to smaller divisions within society itself. I also think, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to choose my words carefully here because I am in no way, I've said this before, but I'll just say it again for the good of the order. I'm not xenophobic. I'm not afraid of any people, you know, people group or anything like that. And I have zero animus towards Hispanics. In fact, a close, dear friend of our family, someone that we not only work with him, but we celebrate the, you know, the milestones in his family when he has his first grandchild. We celebrated that. Um, He is from, he's an immigrant. He's a recent immigrant himself. Um, And we love that family. And we know other people who are, you know, Latin or Hispanic or whatever the uh, allowed term is. So I'm, I'm, there's nothing about that that I have a problem with. I do, however, have a problem with people insisting that I decide whether or not I want to do something in English or Spanish, or I would have the same problem if it were French or Haitian. I think the default language in America should be English because that is our native tongue. And so there's a lot of this. It's like people will say, well, if you don't, if you don't want to spend time around you know, people who speak Spanish, if you don't want to speak Spanish at Walmart, or if, you don't, if that's not your thing, then you're xenophobic or you hate them. That's not it at all. I, I, I like to put it the other way, Ariel. If you use Instacart and Amazon and different services to prevent you from understanding that the majority of the shoppers at any place at any given time have now transitioned from being Americans to foreign-born speakers, 
then you're the one who actually has some xenophobia because you don't even want to be around those people. It's not that you don't, you're, I'm fine with being there. I just want to speak English. I just want everything in English. They don't even want to be there. Isn't the xenophobia really over on the other side that's advocating for these policies? Well, I think you're talking, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of the level of insulation that takes place and sort of just the idea that those who are living in coastal areas tend to be more insulated from problems that are existing beyond the cities themselves, right? And so I mm -hmm. do think that you're, what you're, this phenomenon you're describing isn't far off when we talk about the immigration issues. I do think that the English language, it's just a matter of convenience. I think that a lot of people just appreciate not having to go through the rigor or the steps of trying to determine well is in English or Spanish. I think you're right. There's a convenience factor associated <laughs> with it, and we live in the age of convenience, right? Right. Um, and I do, I do think what's sort of upsetting, I think, about the entire immigration debate is that, you know, there, every time we discuss immigration, we always are paying credence to the notion that, yes, we consider economics, but we also consider social fabric. And we consider, you know, how able are we to assimilate large groups of people from other countries. And, in fact, the United States does a fantastic job of that. But we do that because immigration is highly regulated. And we are very cognizant of the different ratios needed to ensure that people are able to assimilate into society. A lot of Europe's issues right now in terms of assimilation are related to the fact that they haven't really given thought to social fabric. They haven't really given the thought to how can you, you know, integrate large people from other areas into the population when your base population is pretty small. And so I do think that what is sort of saddening about this you know, immigration conversation is become really unintellectual when the reality is, and always has been, is that immigration has always been a question of you know, is it what's what's best in our economic interest? What's best for maintaining the social fabric of the United States? You know, immigrants do make the United States great, but so does our ability to integrate immigrants, and that's really a product of a host of other factors, including you know um, ratios of people from different countries. And so, I do think that you know what when we think of when we talk about immigration, we should be paying much more attention to that. And the Democrats just don't want to hear it. You're, they just call you a xenophobe. You say something like that. So they do. Um, and do. and taking the comments out of context, um, because if I was xenophobic, the language that I would have here on this program would be very different. And I, I kind of feel like if I was xenophobic, I wouldn't be able to be on here. Like I, I think absolutely. <laughs> it wouldn't be Thanks. someplace where they would welcome me here. Um, uh, right, Daniel Davidson, absolutely. contributor to The Federalist. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming on today. Happy New Year. Thanks so much, Stacey. All right. Talk enough. to you again soon. Um, we will be back with more and we'll take your calls. 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Be right there. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. I remember a time when the Colts were preparing for the college draft and needed to choose between two defensive players. One was big, strong, and dominant on the field. The other had great speed but was undersized. Both were exceptional college players. Yet we had some questions about the first player's attitude and commitment. So we brought in three of his college teammates and asked each of them, if we brought you here, which of your teammates would you want to have on our team as well? None of them named the player we were considering. 
we ended up drafting the second player and he was a good choice. When you're selfless, you'll earn the respect of your teammates. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team, from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacy Washington. In 1 Samuel 21, we see David fleeing from King Saul. David uses every trick in the book to preserve his own life, from eating the priest's holy showbread to lying about why he is in the vicinity. At one point, David pretends to be insane, thinking that doing so will prevent angry servants from killing him. Emulating these deceptions are not the point of David's story. Being in fear for his life made him do things he would not normally do. But the story doesn't end there. David wrote Psalm 34 during this difficult time, singing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is a beautiful way of describing the true nature of walking with God. In the low times, when all have forsaken you, continue to bless the Lord. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Congratulations, new members of the House and Senate. You are no longer Washington outsiders. You're now incumbents. Are you part of the swamp, the deep state, the establishment? Unclear. But you are certainly now inside the Beltway. Most who come to Washington contend they won't go native. There's merit in that. But consider this quotation from Catherine Graham, the longtime publisher of the Washington Post. When it comes to Washington, most people tend to think first of politics. But Washington is also a geographic and physical place. It is, for instance, one of the few cities in the world where you can talk endlessly about trees. Close quote. The House is host to a prodigiously large class. Such big classes are prone to greenhorn mistakes, everything from minor stumbles to major scandals. And it's hard for freshmen to get attention, especially those not named New York Democrat Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. One surefire way to garner press? Just hours after you're sworn in, use a profane pronoun when referring to the President of the United States. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy on the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. They're not talking about the Democrats folding. For instance, uh, this morning, a number of people came out and said, you do need very strong border security, and that includes a wall or whatever it is. Uh, a number of Democrats said that, but people don't like to report on it. Uh, We have tremendous unity in the Republican Party. It's really a beautiful thing to see. I don't think there'll be any breakaway because they know we need border security and we have to have it. And the only way you're going to have border security, there's only one way. You can have all the technology in the world. I'm a professional in technology. But if you don't have a steel barrier or a wall of some kind, strong, powerful, You're going to have human trafficking. You're going to have drugs pouring across the border. You're going to have MS-13 and the gangs coming in. And we've done record apprehensions. We're doing a great job. But we need help. If we have the wall, we could have far fewer people working in terms of border security and doing an even better job. So if we had the wall, we could have a tremendous saving. I I really believe the the steel barrier or wall would pay for itself every three or four months and maybe even better than that in terms of overall. He's right. 
Uh, the president is right. And that's who you were listening to. He was outside of Marine One and he was taking some questions from reporters and he took the time to share that bit of information to support the president's assertion. Uh, we also talk about foreign aid on this program quite a bit. American taxpayers currently spend more than $50 billion in a year helping develop foreign countries. Much of the recipients, uh, many of them are not known for being our closest allies. You've got Egypt, South Sudan, Uganda, South Africa, Russia, Congo, Sudan, and Zambia, which raises the question of what we're actually receiving for that money. These are not our allies. They refuse to vote with us at the U.N. They don't send their best people to our country as immigrants, and we still pay them billions of dollars a year. Why? Waste, fraud, and abuse. GAO estimates taxpayers are spending about $137 billion annually on payment errors. That covers all manner of waste, fraud, and abuse within Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Much of that driven by illegal immigration because people steal or create fake Social Security numbers and receive payments from the government because they're here in the country illegally and they want to be paid. Uh, we have uh, many different ways to fix these problems. Um, just a couple more things that the Democrats don't care about reauthorizing year after year after year. Northwest University has received more than $3 million in annual uh, National Institute of Health grants to watch hamster fights. I I'll say that again. $3 million paid to Northwestern University by NIH so that the people there who are researchers can watch hamsters fight. Some of the experiments involve injecting the hamsters with steroids then putting another hamster in the cage to see if the drug rodents are more aggressive when protecting their territory. The program has been halted only because animal rights activists want it stopped because they don't think hamsters should be forced to fight, not because it's wasting money. I'm just, you know, I know this has to be flabbergasting, but we need these facts so that we can deal with the nincompoops who are currently saying this is about money, yada, yada, yada. The feds also spend one million, just over $1 million a year training social justice to math teachers. Uh, the government spends at least 518000 in federal grants to study how cocaine affects the sexual behavior of Japanese quails. You heard me right. They're giving birds cocaine to see what it does to their intimacy ratios. Federal register is legally required to be printed daily. It's distributed to congressional offices. Most of them never read it. All of the information is available online. Stopping this unnecessary printing would save $1 million a year. Now, for those who understand that $1 million is a pittance in a trillion, multiple trillion dollar annual budget, that's true. But if you understand that, then you must understand that money stacks up. And the way to wealth and prosperity is to stack money up, not to, well, I am not going to spend money on that. It's, it's not just a national problem. It's a personal problem as well. We Americans feel that, well, saving $5 here really doesn't add up. Yes, it does. Saving a million dollars here or there in the federal budget doesn't add up. Actually, it does. If you stack enough millions up together, you get a billion. Am I right? That's how wealthy people get wealthy. Jeff Bezos did not become a multiple billionaire and one of the richest people on the planet by saying, well, me and my wife can afford to do this or that, you know, outside of our budget. We just need to keep spending that. We need to keep burning that. Let's burn through some money. No, he can burn through money now, but he's got so much of it. And I bet you I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts, actual dollars and real donuts because Krispy Kremes, I, I never eat them anymore. I'm willing to bet that. He watches his money even more tightly now than he did back when he was, you know, running a hedge fund or working at, uh, he, he used to work at Barnes and Nobles, <laughs> you know, 
He, di- he didn't just get there overnight. So if that concept applies to Jeff Bezos and his billions, and it applies to a family in Missouri that's working and earning the medium for a family of four, 58000 a year, and they're watching their pennies and they have a few hundred thousand dollars saved up, then it definitely applies to our federal government and our budget. It's not about money. We know it's not that we don't have the money, but this just puts the nail in the coffin for these Democrats who are just out there lying through their teeth about why they don't want to fund this wall. It has nothing to do with the money, everything to do with not wanting to give the president a win, as Ariel said, not wanting to give him anything because they hate him and they hate his supporters. And also the open borders serve their purposes. Voters who don't hold them accountable for their failures. Americans are too prone to say, weren't you the one who, uh, you know, proposed that we do Obamacare? And I'm not only not saving $2,500 a year, I'm paying five times as much, and I, I don't have any providers. Americans will say that to you. An illegal immigrant who can't speak English just wants to get paid and live here and get checks. And, you know, I know sometimes when people plain speak the truth, it's offensive. It causes snowflakes to spin and melt. I'm not here for the snowflakes. I'm here for people who want real news and information, Christian worldview, biblical perspective, the unvarnished truth. And I'm actually much nicer about saying it than I could be because I'm a professional. I'll just leave it at that. All right, let's go to the phones. Jacob in Alabama. Jacob, thank you so much for coming on today. How you doing, Sister Stacy? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Oh, fantastic. Um, I got a ton of scriptures, but I'm, gonna, I'm only going to give you a couple because I know this is what the Lord wants you to ask. First of all, uh, instead of um, Psalm 37, Psalm 73 is for you because it shows you um, basically what it boils down to what's going to happen to the Democratic Party. And just stay tuned. The other thing is we did not elect. Um, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, uh, when he put, uh, bring, brought the uh, Jerusalem to be the capital and acknowledge it, the people over there, the first thing they said, well, he's like Cyrus. And we didn't go to the scriptures and read about Cyrus. He called Cyrus a pagan king that doesn't know him. He called him my anointed. Mm. Donald Trump is an anointed cho- choice of the Lord, just like Saul was. And he ain't, now, Donald Trump ain't killed some Christians. He used Saul to write three-quarters of the New Testament. He's using Donald Trump like Cyrus to rebuild the wall. And that would be um, Isaiah 44, 28, and Isaiah 45, 1. And you'll see he calls it my anointed. And remember 105, 15 on Psalms. Touch not my anointed, do my prophets no harm. Now, if he's anointed, be careful how you do Put your mouth on him, and I'm talking to different people if it applies to them, because look what happened with Miriam when she put her mouth on Moses. Mm. He is serious about his anointed, and he's not taking any uphold. When he chooses them, you better respect him. Yep, the same thing that we saw with David when he was running from Saul, and on two occasions Saul was delivered into his hand where David could have killed him. And even the act of cutting a little corner off of Saul's robe caused David so much distress he said, I can't raise my hand or touch God's anointed, including cutting the piece of the robe. And he used it to show Saul that he meant him no harm, but he beseeched God for his life. He didn't ask Saul for it. And David is one of the key examples in the Bible, as well as the ones you've named, where we see that when God appoints a ruler, you don't, it's not your place to 
assassinate, remove, et cetera, et cetera. It's simply something that we uh, we have to respect and understand that God's timing is not ours. His mind is not ours. And we just have to trust him. Uh, let's go to Bobby in Ohio. And thank you so much for those scriptures. I pulled them up on my uh, laptop and I want to share a few more during the show here. Bobby in Ohio, thank you for calling today. Thank you. Uh, my comment is about uh, Congress, that it's not about the money. Uh, someplace I heard that uh, Jared Brown and he and his congressman buddies approved money for foreign countries to build a, a wall around their country. I'm talking specifically about Jordan for security, but then they won't do it for our own country, the USA. And I I relayed a message to him yesterday by phone that that's disgraceful, and it should be brought to the limelight how hypocritical our congressmen are. Yeah, it's not just there. It's also in uh, Israel. We we help fund the wall that was built along Israel's border with Egypt because people from Africa were traveling to Egypt and then going on up and through into uh, into Israel and they were doing it for economics and they didn't want it to happen anymore so they put a wall up there and now they don't have any immigration from that si- that that source of Im- illegal immigration is no longer there right and uh, thank you for the news I think another uh, one good thing about this situation might be that the public can't help but see how the major networks manipulate the news it, it really is fake news and one-sided it is. I mean, and, and really, they just take the talking points. Like, I'm, I know I've mentioned this, but I, I just want to say, don't, don't miss the program tomorrow because we're going to have that audio for you. It's a mashup of all of them. Right before President Trump made the Oval Office address, they came out and started saying it was a manufactured crisis. And they said that phrase over and over and over again because they're trying to drum it into the American psyche that this isn't real. It's manufactured so that people won't support what is really common sense. As you've pointed out, Bobby, it works overseas. It works here, too. Thank you for calling the show. And God bless. I, I want to also I just have so much here. Um, I mentioned the defiant landowners. I want to just give a little smidge of, um, so we're talking about on the border between Texas and and Mexico. And, uh, you know, last year, the president actually secured funding for 33 miles of barrier. It was last March in 2017. And that work is supposed to be kicking into gear. And we've reported on that here on the show. Um, I've talked about different areas where wall is being either shorn up, repaired, or built where there is no wall. And that's from the $1.5 billion that was allocated last year. But sometimes they have to get the land. And there's one person who's been very open about her opposition to a border wall going on her property. Her name is Cavazos. That's her last name, Mrs. Cavazos. She says she doesn't want to negotiate a deal. If she were offered a trillion dollars, she would not put a border barrier on her property that she owns on the border with Mexico. Now, the suggestion, if you're just tuning in, welcome to the program. The suggestion is that we simply, you know, say that, let's say her property, which borders the national line between Mexico and America, instead of putting it on that line where she won't give permission, We can't put it on Mexican property, so we have to come further in and put the border barrier where her property line ends and the easement begins between, you know, utilities, et cetera, sidewalk. I have no idea what the terrain is around the front of her property, but the border wall would be there. For her to get into the interior of the U.S., she would simply enter at a port of entry. She would have every right to do so as an American citizen, but her land would be on the outside of the wall. Now, 
I actually don't think that would come to fruition because I think at that point, if she realized that's what was about to happen, she would then negotiate and, you know, the government would get permission to utilize a teensy bit of her land on which to construct a wall. But there's a couple of other things, and that is the use of eminent domain, which conservatives traditionally oppose. But in this case, so the reason conservatives traditionally oppose eminent domain is because it normally is used for stupid things like shopping plazas and, you know, any kind of pet project that some developer wants to put up. The real use for eminent domain is to put a highway or a road through or um, something that's used by the public on a piece of land that is adjacent to fully developed commercial areas uh, where, you know, it's the only single family residence left. And so you need an easement to utilize some of that land. And, you know, it's 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 tricky stuff. But in this case, there's a valid reason for it, which means it would be fine to support it as a conservative without losing your principles on that. So as we're closing out this hour, I want to make sure and uh, point you to our partnership for this week. And I just couldn't be more excited about preborn, mission preborn, preborn ministries, the people who work there, the leader there, Dan Steiner, Roxy Lammergeist, who came on the program yesterday with us. If you missed that, head over to urbanfamilytalk.com slash Stacy or AFR.net and listen to that uh, podcast. It was a fantastic interview with her. She was so knowledgeable and such a sweetheart for women who are abortion minded. Uh, really, someone who's working as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. It's amazing to see what people can do when they dedicate themselves to something that they feel, this this is for me. This is what God has for me. So not too late for you to get in on this action and help us get the 2,500 ultrasounds provided. 616-877. Let me start over again. 877-616-2396. 877-616-2396. Or donate online at AFR.net. I've already done so. It's super fast online. Or you can speak to our fantastic, fabulous, awesome, sweet, and very, very funny volunteers who are working the phones. 877-616-2396. I'm Stacey Washington. God bless. And good evening from the heartland. <laughs>